Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. I'm just waiting for the YouTube streaming to kick in. I think it's okay now. Okay. Let's start with, uh, there's an anonymous question. It goes like this. I have many serious health issues and I do a lot of intensive caretaking for a family member who is even more disabled. This more often than not consumes my energy and life as a whole. I have been a devotee for about 25 years now, but for that entire time, I've felt unable to completely get close to Krishna because I have so many problems and I know we are not supposed to bother him with worldly matters because we should not be identifying with the body and only strive for higher awareness. But I very very often feel the need to cry out to God and ask for support in my very many challenges. And I feel as if I cannot cry out to Krishna because it would perhaps be inappropriate to do so. And I do not want to offend. In all these years, I've never asked anything of any of the Vaishnav divine beings that are part of our devotional practice, because it just seemed like that's not what all this is supposed to be about. But this leaves me feeling unworthy of spiritual grace and bereft of divine help in my lowest moments. And I definitely need the help. It makes me miss the aspects of the faith I was raised in, where the divine and the saints could be approached for help when we are suffering. I'm sure I'm misunderstanding something along the way or missing some knowledge that would help resolve this. I figured that after 25 years, I should simply ask. Perhaps perhaps it's a matter of approaching a different expansion, such as Nityananda or Nishingadev, whose role is perhaps more client-facing, to put a modern term to it. But I just do not know. I know we are me- I know we are meant to serve, not to be served, yet the suffering is often so unbearable and I'm not enlightened enough to be able to disassociate from my worldly pain through spiritual practice. This has really helped me back from going deeper into my bhakti like I would wish. Gurudev, can you please help me see a way to feel uh, excuse me, can you please help me see a way to feel held and seen by the divine when things are very dark? Is it an offense to cry out to Krishna when I am in pain? Thank you. Sham, can you just really briefly um, put that in Spanish for the devotees? Oh, okay, good. 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 Thank you for that. Um, appreciate the question. Uh, it was well, uh, well, well written out and explained with... Uh, with the, and the feeling came through. I think that um, it's important to understand that uh, Prabhupada, who really kind of transplanted the uh, the, uh, the vine, the creeper, the of, 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 of bhakti outside of India, Gaudiya, Gaudiya Vaishnavism, I should say, and he. Uh, in doing so, he emphasized the highest um, ideal, which is, um, you know, unalloyed devotional service um, and the idea that your um, um, troubled by, in a sense, and understandably, that the idea that uh, we shouldn't uh, ask God for um for something for ourselves, but you know, but rather the uh, um, to try to please him and so forth. Uh, I mean, basically, there Prabhupada and all of our acharyas and all the texts are trying to distinguish bhakti from the karma marg, which is characterized by approaching God and, and praying for things um, in this world and so forth. Um, we also want to distinguish it from the gyan marg and so on. Um, now, that said, uh, when the ideal is presented, um, it's not that everybody can, uh, it, it has the Adi card rise to the occasion and, and, um, apply themselves, um, in the full sense of the term, uh, selflessly. So, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a work in progress, um, the life of the sadhaka. And therefore, uh, statements that, uh, uh, such as this should not be, uh, uh, forgotten. For statements such as, uh, uh, what is the verse? Sakama, 
akama sarvakama vah, moksha kama dharadi, tivrena bhakti yogena yajeta purusham puram. Says, Bhagavatam says well, in the second canto that uh, whether you have all desires, you have no desires, or you have a desire for mukti, you should uh, take shelter of bhakti yoga uh, uh, and worship the, the, the supreme person. So um, what we really want to do um, is to develop the tendency to take shelter of Krishna, hmm? the tendency to depend on Krishna. Hmm? If we become dependent upon Krishna, um, even in the context of desiring an improvement, let's say, on our material situation, removing a material impediment and so on and so forth. Um, it may not be the, the highest type of prayer hmm, to pray to Krishna for such, but the fact that we pray to Krishna for, for, for such is good for us in the context of pursuing the, the, the ideal. Hmm. So, if 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 we should you should definitely pray pray to 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 Krishna to help you um, materially rather than not pray at all uh, or pray to someone else. Uh, Uddhava has told us that you'd be any person would be in, no, no one could be a more uh, merciful person than Krishna to approach because Putana he says approached pretending to be a devotee and he got she got eternal uh you know motherhood um Rasa. so he, he's very mercifully uh disposed she approached for the wrong thing so um if we approach you know your your, your approach is it's is also not like someone in the karma mark just praying to god for things but you want to you're praying to god that your life might become easier, that you might be able to more, uh, be more dedicated, more concentrated in your practice and so on and so forth. The obstacles might be removed and so on. So these are certainly things to, uh, to pray for. And, and again, the, the overall result of such prayers, um, is that we develop a tendency to take shelter of Krishna. Hmm? And that, is very uh, significant, very, very important. Um, as far as um, who to approach in this regard, Krishna, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Nityananda, these are all manifestations of the same Godhead. But I would strongly uh, recommend that you um, approach uh, uh, Giriraj Govardhan. Hmm? Govardhan is a, is a, is very well known in Vrindavan for um, reciprocating hmm, um, with uh, all types of devotees. Devotees who come and pray for Prem only, high ideal. Those who come and pray that they that their uh, that their uh, mother might become cured of of cancer hmm? uh, and they take shelter of Govardhan. These people hmm, have more faith in Govardhan, who is Krishna himself, than many so-called devotees of Krishna praying for the highest ideal. They believe that Govardhan is a real person who has the power. Hmm? They actually believe this. <laughs> fervently and they therefore you can find people who will do dandavat parikram who will pay their full layout fully get up where their hands are put their feet there and lie down again and go all the way around govardhan hill and do this until they're finished with a with a prayer you know free my mother from cancer or what, whatever it might be material free me from you know whatever I mean, how much do, how much do the devotion do they have to go on? Hmm? Even though they're praying for something less, hmm? it's incredible. And he, and there are many, 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 uh, testaments and, uh, examples, uh, um, to illustrate the fact that Gordon is very disposed towards 
towards uh, such appeals hmm, on the part of devotees, mixed or otherwise. And so, um, while we may present as property often the highest ideal, hmm, we have to understand our own adhikar in relation to the whole practice and then approach uh, accordingly with that ideal in mind. Hmm, we cannot necessarily embrace the ideal in terms of practice that we see and the examples that we see of great devotees that would be artificial. So we have to see uh, and understand where we're at and approach accordingly. But by all means, yes, we should take shelter of Krishna for and, and become practiced in that um, with regard to anything and everything that happens to you in your life. Approach him. Nobody else. Hmm? Uh, and uh you know and, and and there's your devotion to krishna and krishna will take care of his devotees and they have problems in this world sometimes of course he allows the problems to 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 continue or he even creates them hmm? as a means to bring us closer to him but uh <laughs> but uh in your case uh i'm very very uh, it's painful for me to hear your appeal that for all of these years you've been under this uh is uh kind of misunderstanding, if you will, um, that, um, and I'm so glad that you, you know, you brought it out and uh, voiced it. And, um, and this is the solution. I mean, you, you know, uh, I mean, I'm citing Govardhan. He's particularly known for, for, for such. Um, uh, and there are many nice prayers to Govardhan written by our charges also. Um, it could be invoked, but regardless, you, you may have your own uh, deity in your home, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Nityananda Prabhu, uh, Krishna, uh, Radha Krishna, Krishna Balaram. These are our deities, Jagannath. Jagannath is also extremely, uh, uh, probably say it's 80% uh, lenient. Uh, so, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you shouldn't approach any. Sometimes I find devotees in, with the same misunderstanding, if you will, um, decide to approach Shiva or somebody else. Very bad idea. If, uh, um, uh, we, we, we should worship other gods and goddesses only for the sake of, um, like the gopis worshiped Kadyayani to get Krishna as their husband, something like that. Uh, so, I hope that helps. Um, appreciate the question. So, actually, I had a question. Um, some devotees hold an opinion that the guru can't reject the disciple because the relationship between the guru and the disciple is eternal. So then if a guru rejects a disciple, then the guru must not be bona fide. So I was just hoping you could uh, share your view on this issue. Yeah, somebody else asked me this. Um, recently as well and um, <clears throat> and um, there um, there's two things that, that that really come to mind the concept that the relationship is eternal and the the act of of, of rejecting itself and um, with regard to the latter there is uh, certainly precedent for this um, considerable precedent in the in the sampradaya. Um, if we go back to the very beginnings of the sampradaya, for example, uh, we find that uh, Gopal Bhatta Goswami, one of the one of the our shastra uh, gurus and founding acharyas of the whole sampradaya, to whom uh, Radharaman manifest um, famously. Uh, Gopal Bhattu Goswami, it, it is mentioned in Vaishnava, Gaudiya Vaishnava Abhidham, which is kind of like a dictionary or encyclopedia of Gaudiya Vaishnava, uh, history, uh, personalities and, and so forth, um, mentions that the, the very first disciple of Gopal Bhattu Goswami, who later became known as Hithari Vams, um, was rejected by uh, Gopal Bhattu Goswami. Because um, he began to uh, voice opinions that 
his guru didn't didn't uh, didn't agree with, were contrary to his uh, own teachings. He became untrustworthy, and uh, he maintained Hitari Vamsa that he was getting insight insight from within, uh, directly from Radha, in fact. And um, so, uh, again, Gopal Bhatta Goswami uh, rejected him. So there's a precedent for. Um, Dating back to the beginning of the Sampradaya for a guru, um, rejecting a disciple, Bhakti Vinod, coming more, you know, to our modern times and our own particular Parivar or line, lineage, family within the multitude of Gaudiya, uh, lineages, uh, writes about this in, um, his, uh, in Harinam Chintamani, one of his books. And, um, he uh he says there that um that as long as the guru and the disciple um are both conducting themselves appropriately then their relationship um uh, uh would we say he, uh, extends into into eternity and um and this Kind of, uh, brings us to the, to the second point, um, that being that, well, the relationship is eternal. <laughs> well, uh, I think that the emphasis on this point, uh, that the relationship between the guru and the disciple is eternal within Gaudiya Vaishnavism is one that seeks to, um, underscore the difference in Gaudiya Sampradaya with regard to the, this uh, aspect of guru tattva and uh to 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 underscore and contrast it uh with that of advaita vedanta which was very popular at the time of the goswamis and which much much of their writing um is about differentiating themselves ourselves the godi tradition godi vedanta from um Advaita Vedanta. In Advaita Vedanta, the guru and the disciple relationship, it ends, and the guru is dispensed with at the time of liberation, as the jiva is thought to merge into Brahman and become one. There's no other, there's no guru. Once, uh, in, in 1977, Prabhupada was in Mayapur uh, during the festival and bathing in the, in the, in the Ganga. I've told this story before, and one of the, my garbage reached to extend his hand to Prabhupada to pull him out, out from the Gangan onto the shore to assist him. And he did so. When Prabhupada got on the shore, he threw his hand down like this and shocked that devotee thought he had done something wrong. And Prabhupada said, this is my avada. Still, then he really thought he had done something wrong. But then Prabhupada explained when they get out of the, the, the water, if you will, the ocean of material existence and stand on the shore of liberation, they dispense with the guru. Hmm? This is not like, uh, like Gaudiya Vaishnavism. So, of course, in Advaita Vedanta, there is no other God, is only a provisional, uh, you know, manifestation of, of Brahman, the Guru, a provisional manifestation to focus on and then, you know, do away with. So, our tradition is very different in that if you have a relationship with the Guru and you follow the Guru and the Guru is, is, is bona fide and so forth, you're bona fide as a disciple, and, and, and which means you follow the guru's instructions, and he has or she has good instructions to give, supported by by the shastra. Then that relationship will result in in a liberated life, and the relationship, uh, unlike the way to Vedanta, will continue. Hmm? So. I, th- I think you have to understand the idea that the relationship is eternal in that sense. Hmm? Uh, but but Bhakti Vinod Thakur um, goes on to say in Harinam Chintamani, but, uh, however, uh, Hindu, if the disciple becomes uh, deceitful um, and untrustworthy and um, uh, doesn't follow the guru's directive, uh, then um, he becomes dushta and crooked, and 
and and the guru not only should reject the disciple, he must reject the disciple. He's and in Bhaktivinoda compares it to if you have a guru who's proves to be unqualified, who offends Vaishnavas, who comes under the sway of uh, of worldliness and so forth, uh, because he of, if he offends the name, and uh, he says, Kram, Kram, step by step, he, he begins to come more worldly and develop worldly desires and so on and so forth, then he must be rejected. And similarly, if the, if the disciple behaves or misbehaves, as I'm describing, he must be rejected. Otherwise, both will go down. And, he's, and he says, better one than both. So, uh, it's, uh, it's kind of an advice that he's giving to the guru how to conduct himself, um, um, with regard to, um, um, the unfortunate and rare circumstance where the disciple becomes untrustworthy and, um, uh, uh, deceitful and, uh, obstinate, uh, and, uh, uh, refuses to follow the, the, uh, um, instructions of the guru. Shikhar Marsh, um, then comments on this as well. Mm-hmm. And I think I have it here because I was going to write something about this. Let me see here. Uh, yes, Shikhar Marsh was asked the question and, and explaining the, the, what Bhaktivinoda Thakur is saying from Harinam Chintaman, he says, with regard to rejecting the disciple, it should not be done very easily. Uh, but when the disciple, read to you, but when the disciple becomes intolerable, he should be rejected. When the disciple sets a bad example for others, just as when any patient is considered so much contagious that he will be dangerous to other patients in the room, he should be removed. Similarly, when the disciples association will cause much damage to other disciples, then in that case, he is to be removed for the good of the others. So it's, it's, this is a, an interesting expansion on the idea that, um, you know, you have a guru, he or she has disciples. So it's not just the guru and the disciple, but the disciple is in the midst of others. And the guru is tendering to all of them. If that disciple um, should erode by his behavior or speech uh, position, the faith in in the guru um, and his position as as Hitari Bamsa was doing with regard to Gopal Bhatti, he was promoting whole other other ideas. Um, then this can have a negative impact on the other uh, students of the guru that the guru is obliged to you know save them from protect them from and so you know rare as it is and unfortunate as it is then as Shudamar says he has to reject um, uh, such a disciple um, so um, that said I would add to that um I mean that oftentimes you take the example of uh Hitari Vamsa and Gopal Bhatta Goswami, really for all intents and purposes, Hitari Vamsa rejected his guru, his guru's instructions. So I mean what is the guru besides his instructions and the fact that he you know embodies them you know personally as an as an example? So if the disciples refusing obstinate and refusing uh to follow, um uh, then in effect, you know, he's really already, re- already rejected the guru. What's the meaning of, of the, of the, of the, of disciple if there's, if you refuse the discipline, right? Hmm. So then, you know, you put the guru in a difficult situation. How can he teach you? <laughs> if I say, you know, look, I think you're suffering from Pratishta here. No, I'm not, you know, from pride. No, I'm not. I mean, what, 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 what's the guru supposed to say then? You know, so, uh, if you, if you can't teach, um then well in effect the rejection on the part of the guru is something that's already been initiated by the misbehavior of the disciple mm-hmm. he's forced into that situation 
in, in, in two ways. Well, I, I can't teach him. He doesn't listen to me. He doesn't follow me. And then I can't set an example that it's okay for disciples to decide not to follow me and have some other opinions about uh, this, that, or the other thing, uh, uh, as may be the case. Um, not good. So, um, but but again, but then uh, I would say, you know, to put a cap on this here, an end on this, a conclusion of this, um, two things. One, the decision whether the disciple is um, should be rejected or not based on his or her behavior is something that's entirely a decision. The decision for that is entirely in the hands of the, of the guru, who's the teacher. Hmm? No one else has, you know, uh, really, uh, it's, it's not we're, we're going to get, let's have a vote about it or something. He's the teacher. She, he or she, he has to make the decision. And of course, everyone has to see, see the wisdom of the guru in this regard and, and follow. Um, but secondly, and, and I, again, I'll, I'll conclude with this. Um, I think that, uh, it, it should be clear or underscored that should such a rejected disciple rectify himself? Hmm? I mean, you're going to be in a, you're going to have one disciple amongst a group of others. Um, and so, you know, instances like this, different disciples have a relationship with that, that, that disciple, good or bad or in between and so on and so forth. So some will just immediately ignore him. Oh, he's been rejected by the guru. Some have had a friendly relationship. So they'll think about it differently. Those should show their friendship by way of underscoring the fact that, uh, you know, you, you made a big mistake here. Uh, and, um, and, uh, and encourage him to him or her to reject a disciple to rectify themselves, which this is my point at the end that they can do. The disciple can, the rejected disciple can do come back and, uh, acknowledge, understand, acknowledge the mistake. And then surely the guru will reinstate that person, you know, in due course with certain, with, you know, whatever particular instructions and so on and so forth. So those are my uh, thoughts on the matter. Um, does that help? Yeah, very much. Makes perfect sense to me. So the next question is from Ganga Shakti. She was supposed to ask her question last week, but we ran out of time. Hare Krishna Guru Maharaj Pranam. Um, my question is, um, it came due to the fact that we visited an, a beautiful Iskon temple like a few weeks ago, and it reminded me about the uh, Mizugini in Iskon. Um, and I was wondering actually, how did it all start and to what extent is the role of Shiva Prabhupada in it? Because uh, I know on one hand, there are some paragraphs in his books that are a bit like women are less intelligent or more simple but on the other hand I've also heard that he's been very respectful to his uh, western female uh, devotees and I kind of can't really add it up together and especially also why is it still present more than 50 years later I kind of thought if you could give us some insight because you knew Shiva Prabhupada and, and what is it? What is exactly sexism? Um, well, basically, uh, you can get really mistreated just because yeah. you have a gopi dress oh. and not the dhoti, and um, or they still have like the tulsi arati separately and everything separately. Yeah. And yeah, um, it was it was a, I had forgotten about those things. I see. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, I think that. Um, that Prabhupada was consistent in one sense um, on the, in this regard uh, um, by way of distinguishing between a Varnashram perspective, which includes something called Sri Dharma. So Varnashram is, you know, is a socio-religious uh, system. And so there are all types of uh, duties, uh, roles, um, uh, functions and so forth for different types of people with different dispositions, dispositions being 
a result of the influence of the gunas, sattva, rajas, tamas. It you know creates different psychologies, and um, and 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 so there are injunctions to engage people from a societal point of view in consideration of that, and all this for the pleasure of Vishnu ultimately. Um, and so one of the features there is street arm, what women should do, how women should conduct themselves, right? And um, and then um, then there's Vaishnavism, which transcends the Varnashram. Mm-hmm. And Prabhupada made statements often with regard to women that are representative of Sri Dharma. Mm-hmm. And I think that he had an idea that the Varnashram system would be a better system for people to follow mm-hmm. than modern social systems if they were interested in attaining transcendence. Mm-hmm. And so he had some faint idea, if you will, of, you know, establishing Varnashram all over the world. Uh, uh, but many times, a number of times, even written in his books, he said, but it's not possible. Mm-hmm. It is called you. Therefore, we should just chant Namsan Kirtan and so forth. Um, but um, he would distinguish often when questioned um, about things that he had said that are representative of street dharma, mm-hmm. when he was questioned about that by his own disciples, he would always reply, but our women are different. They're devotees. They're Vaishnavis. That doesn't apply to them. They're the most intelligent ladies, for example, uh, and so on and so forth. So he was very consistent in that regard. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember once in Mayapur, Malati, um, one of his earlier disciples, um, was was cooking for him. Mm-hmm. And one of his godbrothers, a sannyasi godbrother, came to visit and Prabhupada had him come in for lunch. Mm-hmm. And so they were taking the lunch. And in the context of that, she came out to bring something else. And Prabhupada said, this is one of my disciples. And she cooked. Mm-hmm. And he was not accustomed to um, eating food that had been cooked by women as a sannyasi. You know, it was how he had been uh, trained. Um, and and, and, and uh, typically in, in the mission of Bhakti Siddhanta within the monastery itself, well, it was men. And women weren't cooking there. And the men were brahmacharis or, or sannyasis. And so this is all tied to the social structure of the time and so forth, right? So anyway, Prabhupada's this late, this, this disciple who is cooking for him. So when this other godbrother realized, I just ate food, you know, cooked by, by a woman. <laughs> and he was a little like shocked. And Prabhupada was wanted to create this like effect, you know, and he, he did. And he said, she has cooked. Yes, yeah, she has, not only is she serving, she has cooked the meal. And then when the guy kind of turned pale, you know, the Maharaj, Prabhupada said, and she would cut off her arm for me. <laughs> and it's true. <laughs> and that's how Prabhupada felt about them. So this is an instance of Prabhupada like pushing, you know, without, wasn't even brought up. But he was just making the point because he thought, you know, sometimes he would be criticized for the how he was liberal with regard to women involving them. And the women and men are dancing in the same temple together, you know, sometimes some of the godbrothers would say things like that, that they heard like it was some kind of a disco, you know, going on in the temple and so forth. So what seemed in some respects restrictive to us, maybe in the Western culture was very, very liberal from Prabhupada's point of view and the culture that he came out of, he considered himself a flaming um, liberal. Um, but, um, um, but, but the two things are there, right? Um, and he, and he, and, and so the problem, of course, amongst Prabhupada's disciples and in Iskon, which is, you know, perpetuated even to, to this day, 
is that there's a dip, there's a, there is a, um, a, they have, they see the leadership with all due respect seems to have a difficulty in differentiating between Varnashram and, 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 and Vaishnavism. And, um, and often the Varnashram perspective gets the upper hand. Prabhupada did say he wanted to institute Varnashram everywhere and so on. But, you know, again, many times he said, but it's not possible. And he was well aware where it fits into the whole uh, scheme, if you will. It could be supportive. If you're in a whole Vaishnava society, it, it, then imposing those types of rules even wouldn't be as oppressive as they seem to be because the whole society would be organized differently for the worship of Vishnu and, and so on and so forth. And even, even in the Varnashram, there are, um, uh, so many examples of, of women, you know, becoming saints and so on and so forth. Lee Prashad, the brother of Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur had, had a lady disciple who we gave Brahman, a Brahman thread to, a Brahman thread. And, and so, so, uh, and you won't find a, a, in, in Gaudiya Vaishnavism outside of ISKCON and some branches of Gaudiya Mahatma, you won't, you won't find those same type of, uh, um, um, conflating of Varnashram and the role of women with, um, with, uh, with, with Gaudi Vaishnavism to the same extent. Um, but the problem is that, uh, you know, this is a big, uh, Gaudi Vaishnavism, Hinduism, the whole, you know, affair is pretty broad. There's a lot, you know, to it to sort it all out. There's so many texts and so on and so forth. And I was saying the other day, somebody quotes, finds an old book written, you know, in Sanskrit, you know, and, and, and they, they find a verse and it works for what they think Gaudi Vaishnavism should be emphasizing. And they bring it in as if it's supposed to be something that we just, you know, have to accept absolutely because the scripture is absolute. It, it's just, you know, different scriptures within the Hindu uh, canon are, are for different different paths that don't apply to other paths and so on and so forth. So you need to kind of sort it all out, right? It's important. That's what the Goswamis uh, tried to do and did to do to, to a large extent, but it needs to go on. So anyways, some of my God brothers and God sisters as well, um, the latter to a lesser extent, identified with the, you know, Varnashram, uh, perspective conflated with bhakti and then they have this very strict you know kind of um idea uh, women should be you know women and children should be seen but not heard or something like that it used to be an old uh statement in english uh, even it was thought uh women couldn't vote they were they, you know had only half a soul and and so on and so forth um so uh um you know, you, you, it's unfortunate, but you you think here's a sangha of devotees, and then there's the ordinary people, the non-devotees. And, you know, like it or not, devotees is a pretty big word. What it actually means. You read the commentary of of you know, of my Bhagavad Gita, the last verse of the sixth chapter. I tried to underscore there what it means to be a devotee. Where is Arjun at to be inquiring from Krishna? It's, 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 it's a lot. Um, and, um, sometimes the, the word is used lightly. Bhakti Vinod Thakur invoked the term Vaishnav Pry, kind of a devotee, <laughs> kind of a Vaishnav, a shadow of a Vaishnav. Um, um, uh, because what we find, my point is that here's a materialistic society. Here's the devotee society. The devotee society is so exposed now with the internet and so forth to the materialistic society, like they never were when I first joined. I mean, we didn't know what was going on anywhere practically, you know. So now it, it's the world coming on so strong through social media to people that, uh, uh, that devotees are in touch with all social issues, uh, political 
issues and so on, so on in ways that uh, that they weren't previously. And um, and so you find in the devotee sangha, so-called, you know, such a wide range of thinking hmm, uh, about uh, any any particular issue that it's really not any different than than ordinary ordinary society. Hmm. So is it sadhu sangha, or, or is it you know largely a semblance of that? There's bigotry, there's sexism, there's racism, there's uh, conspiracy nuts. Uh, you know, uh, there's sensible people, there's educated people, there's misinformed people, and uh, they all think that they're like totally representing that, that their attitudes and perspectives are fully representative of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. They all think like that. And, and, and they quote some text, you know, to support it. And, uh, you know, that's an unfortunate uh, situation. Therefore, you know, it's, to find real sangha, real, real sadhu, oh, well, you know, that's, uh, that's uh, like filing a needle in a haystack. So uh, it's, 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 and there's not a lot of misrepresentation, impersonations, and, uh, you know, a counterfeit is worse than a thief. You know, a counterfeiter is worse than a thief. <laughs> so um, this is, uh, you know, a problem. Now, I'm not, you know, giving a broad brush here and saying it's gone bad like this and, and, you know, we're different or something. I'm just saying you ask the question and some of those attitudes can be found not only in Iskand, they can be found in other places as well. I, I think there are, there are two very strong sides of this gone. It's like a very arch, you know, conservative, uh, perspective that identifies more with, uh, with, with the Barnashram perspective. And then there's a more, um, broad-minded, I would say, um, sector in this Um, so anyway, so that's, does that help? Yeah. I mean, proper was, yeah, I mean, proper was very, uh, affectionate to his lady disciples. And I remember once we were in the Berkeley temple and it was newly acquired and Prabhupada came running a walk with Prabhupada. And, um, the temple president said it was a, it had a big temple room and next to it was a big prasadam room. And Prabhupada, he said, Prabhupada, you know, we have a very nice uh, japa program for the devotees in the temple after Mangalartik. And uh, only men are allowed, and we have a separate room for the women. And he thought Prabhupada was going to be very pleased by that. And Prabhupada said, why only men? Hmm? He said, well, you know, we don't want them to be agitated. And Prabhupada said, if they're agitated, then they should not be in the temple. Hmm? Women should be, let them and the women in the temple. <laughs> what are you, what's wrong with you? You're nuts. You know, it's kind of like what Prabhupada was saying. So, uh, you know, there are many examples of that, but they, you know, they're like water off the duck's back for someone who just rolls off for someone who's just like, you know, identifies superficially with some aspect of the, of the teaching and then makes it the core, the center of the teaching, which it's not. And then you've got all this skewed perspective of, of Gaudi Vaishnavism. So, all right. Thank you for your question. Okay, next question is from Abhay Krishna. My question is about chanting. I was listening to an old talk recently where it was mentioned that thinking thinking about Krishna with the mind is good as the mind is subtle and thus closer to the soul and Krishna. Hmm. But it's not but it's not possible to touch Krishna directly with the mind but only with the soul. So I was wondering when we chant, if we are trying to picture Krishna as we best can with our mind, does this actually get in the way? Is it better to not try to picture him with the mind at all, but only to focus on the faith and the emotions of calling out while completely trusting we will get the spiritual vision of him in due time from our sincere calling out? The talk was called Faith Beyond Belief from 2005. Yeah, there are different ways to think about that. Um, and I have said myself many times that the thought that we have about Krishna, the picture that we may have, even the deity, which is crafted to represent uh, Krishna and so forth, our experience of Krishna will be different, more even. Um, 
when the deity starts talking to us, then we'll see him differently than those who he's not talking to, for example. Uh, the mental picture that you have of Krishna is one thing, um, but Krishna revealing his form, it's found in his name, it's another. They're related. Hmm. So uh, it's difficult to control the mind. Uh, we have a lot of desires that, that, that get in the way, and um, and they promote thoughts, right? Thoughts, thoughts. And so the, it's it's difficult often for devotees to concentrate on the name. And so somehow or other, we should try to harness the mind. And one of the ways to do that, that many devotees um, are drawn to is to, is to, if you will, mentally uh, focus on the, the form of the deity, a picture of Krishna, a mental representation of Krishna's form while chanting and that may help the devotee to concentrate and uh, focus rather than if you mentally are thinking of, of a picture of Krishna, um, you're in a better position than what the mind might be thinking about otherwise. If you can't stop it by hearing the name. Hmm? If you can try to listen to the name, and as Prabhupada said once when asked, what should I think about when I chant? He said, oh, when you chant, you should give the mind a rest. Don't think about anything. Try to listen, hmm? right? Hearing and chanting. Try to listen to the name like you would listen to a favorite song or something. Just try to listen to it. Hmm? And then it will reveal itself. And the first way it reveals itself is, is through the rupa. The, the, the name shows his form. The form appears on the mind of the devotee. So this is this is then from nam smarnam japa is the form of smarnam, form of meditation. From nam smarnam, meditating on the name, rupa smarnam, meditating on the form will come, which comes out of the name. From there, the qualities, the guna, nam, rupa. Guna, and then Lila. They're all in the name, so they will come out progressively. And Rupa Goswami, Jiva Goswami, and Bhaktisiddhanta has said we should do Nam Smarnam. As we become proficient in Nam Smarnam, we can do Rupa Smarnam and Guna Smarnam and Lila Smarnam accordingly. So he doesn't recommend that you do Lila Smarnam while doing while doing Japa mentally, if you will, but but actually to give your full mental attention and oral attention to the sound of the name that is uttered with the tongue, you know, as an exercise of the heart, if you will. So, um, you know, you try to hear, but, you know, if the mind is wandering too much and you can't, then you can employ the technique, if you will, of uh, thinking mentally of a form of Krishna that, re- that resembles Krishna and no harm there. Um, and that may then help you to concentrate, not have other thoughts, hear the name and the, and the name may reveal himself. So it depends on what works in a sense for you. But in the highest sense, the fullest sense, I think, yeah, try to listen. Hmm. Try to listen. Thank you very much. Uh, Gayatri has a question. Next. Yes. So, can, is it, is the sound good? Uh, it's good enough. I can hear you. Okay. Great. So, on Thursday, me and uh, Madhu Mangal uh, gathered some of our friends to uh, ask for their blessings for our upcoming marriage. And um, on my request, we sang the bhajan Krishna Tava Punya Habibai. And naturally, I wanted to speak a little bit about on the meaning of, of that bhajan and Srila Prabhupada being in Satyaras. And since then, I've been wondering why is it that so many of Srila Prabhupada's disciples and his disciples' disciples 
believed that he was serving in the mood of Madhurya. Because of Narayan Maharaj. <laughs> Bhaktivedanta Narayan Maharaj ki jai. That is why. Hmm? Um, yes, uh, it was very common in ISKCON that without, without, it was kind of like without saying so, the vast majority of all of his disciples, Prabhupada's disciples, were they to think about it, thought of Prabhupada as in, in Sakyarasana. Now, why did that, why was that the case? Famously amongst them, Jadarani, one of Prabhupada's prominent uh, female disciples, um, we all thought like that. So, why would we think like that? Even as he repeatedly stated, the, you know, the, the gopis are the, you know, the highest devotees and so on and so forth. And even as we taught that. And the reason is because Prabhupada is in Sakyabhav. And without even all of the things that he said about it that we've collected together, for example, in the publication, Oh My Friend, Oh My Friend, without knowing all those things, the devotees implicitly understood that felt that to some extent faintly they were they were just you know we were young and new um and so forth but um after Prabhupada's uh and, and Prabhupada never never ever in any way identified himself with Gopi Bhav in anything that he has said but repeatedly he did if you look carefully one of the things our community our particular song has done is collect that information, which I thought was a valuable service to everybody. And one of the reasons that I did it, or I uh, engaged Ashram Marjan and, and helped him, Brindran and I helped him to put that together, that book um, was um, because another narrative was 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 coming. Now, Prior to Bhaktivedanta, and I'm referring to Bhaktivedanta Narayan Marsh, with all respect, prior to Bhaktivedanta Narayan Marsh's narrative, um, Prabhupada's, some of Prabhupada's disciples became connected with Pujapat Sridhar Marsh, who, uh, I, whose ideal was, 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 was Madhurya Rasa, as was the case of Bhakti Siddhanta and Bhakti Vinod, um, and so forth. But, but Sridhar Marsh knew Prabhupada and lived with him for years. Um, six, I think he, six years he lived with him after the passing of the Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasthi Thakur. And he clearly, um, had considered the matter it, from many angles and come to the conclusion that Prabhupada was in Sakyarasa. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that the famous, uh, poem that, that you, um, referred to, um, uh, he had it memorized mm-hmm. and he brought it up from his veranda and spoke about Prabhupada very beautifully, very charmingly. And for persons like myself who already, you know, had a sense of that, was very gratifying to hear the support for it and so forth. He put it all together very, 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 very nicely with, uh, you know, he installed the Krishna Balaram deities in the center altar in Vrindavan. He said this, he said that. He wrote this in the poem. He installed Gornatai deities, which is uncharacteristic of Bhakti Siddhanta's mission and so on and so on. And he was very happy about it. He thought it was very, very complimentary and so forth. Um, um, and, but uh, after the passing of Sridhar Maharaj and so forth, about 10 years later, hmm, um, Bhakti Vedanta Narayan Maharaj was uh, uh, helping some leading members of ISKCON who were living in Vrindavan. Jadarani, who I mentioned earlier, was one of them. And he um, very strongly emphasized the highest ideal in Gaudiya Vaishnavism is Manjari Bhav, a form of of Madhurya Rasa. And so many songs about this and so many Acharyas like this, Bhakti Vinod, Bhakti Siddhanta, you know, so on and so forth. Um, he emphasized this and, uh, Iskon opposed him for different reasons. And then he pushed back in a way and started a campaign around the world. And, and so this was one of the points that he kept emphasizing. And when it was then proposed to him that Prabhupada hmm, seems to be in Sakharas, he dismissed the idea. No, no, you shouldn't think like that. 
don't think like that. Surely Swami Maharaj is, is, is has attained the highest ideal and so forth. And they, uh, these devotees who were under his care, um, like Jadarani, she came and told me, oh, he's just like Prabhupada. Whatever he says is exactly the same. I said, well, I think he's a little different than Prabhupada, you know, without taking anything away from him. Everybody's a little bit different uh, and so forth. But anyway, uh, you know, uh, she, he began calling her Shamarani, which is nice, cute, charming. And, and so she, she goes by that name now, Shamarani, just to clarify. Um, but that she, she changed her opinion hmm, based on the, Things that Narayan Marsh had said. Well, you know, he chanted Jai Radha Madhava. That must be Madhurya Rasa. Uh, he instituted the Tulsi prayer, which thinks about, talks about becoming a Saki hmm? and so forth. Our whole Sampradaya's emphasis is, is Madhurya Rasa. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu came to experience Madhurya Rasa, give it to the world, Rupa Goswamis and Manjari Bhav, Sanatana Goswami. And, and then it gets emphasized there's nobody in the Sampradaya ever in Saki Rasa, you know. So, Obviously, Prabhupada must be in Madhurya Rasa. Well, um, uh, the, the exaggerations need to be underscored. So there's been plenty of devotees who are in Saki Rasa in our Sampradaya, in, in the lineage, who could be bigger than Nityananda Prabhu himself, the other self of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. The whole Sampradaya was started with uh, him initiating others and um, promoting Saki Rasa and so forth. So there are a number of lineages of Saki Rasa. And so on, and the bodhis who think like this, they're not they're not aware of it. And um, Narayan Maharaj, he refused to hear about it. Hmm? I talked to him on three, I think, three different occasions about it. Hmm? Um, um, uh, the first time I read him the the poem that you're talking about, hmm? this was before he ever went on a world tour or anything like that. Because we were outside of his guns, we knew we knew different people. We could we associated with at different times, different sadhus, and so forth. And I was reading it to him, and I came to the part where Prabhupada expresses his desire to attain uh, Sakya Rasa. Just very very clearly, he said, "Don't think that your guru Maharaj is in Sakya Rasa. You should drive that thought from your from your mind." And then he could see I wasn't about to drive that thought from my mind, so he just kind of backed off, you know. And some ladies came in. Um, from the community there in Mathura, and so the subject got changed. Later, uh, but other piece of, other persons who were following would, wouldn't push back. Hmm? They didn't have the kind of conviction and experience that I had, uh, plus the support of Sridhar Maharaj and so forth. And so uh, when Ryan Maharaj came on a tour for the first time in North America, we had a temple in, in, in our Sangha in Oregon, and we hosted him. We were the only temple that hosted him. None of the Iskand temples would host him. So I talked to him privately and I again brought this subject up and um, was, you know, was, wasn't combative, was, was kind of charming. He appreciated that I was pushing back. And um, and so I defeated him, you know, since well, ultimately my Trump card, because he was saying, you know, so many in South nobody who's everybody in Madhuri Rasa. I said, and I said, Maharaj, I said, um, uh, Akinshin Krishnadas Babaji, he was in Sakyaras. And then he just went, huh? he said, yeah, you're right. He told me that too. <laughs> and then he kind of chuckled, you know, so, uh, so he said, he said, no harm, hmm? no harm. And so then he took the position, um, later also in a letter to me, um, that I have no objection if you, to, for you thinking of your Guru Maharaj in, in Madhuri Rasa. Hmm? He took, but he himself, wanted to promote Madhurya Rasa to his disciples and for good reason and it's his own preoccupation and so I think that he chose to um, emphasize all of them came many many of them I should say western disciples if not all of them came through Prabhupada directly or through Prabhupada's disciples making the devotees and so forth so Prabhupada was a big person that just couldn't you know couldn't be ignored in that particular offshoot lineage of the Gaudiya Vedanta Samiti formed by Bhaktivedanta uh, um, Maharaj, the guru of, of, of Narayan Maharaj. So in that subset lineage, if you will, Prabhupada played a, you know, a more important role than he did in, in the Gaudiya Vedanta Samiti itself. Um, and so, you know, for Prabhupada to be talked about in Sakyarasa, 
um, it, it, I think it took a little bit away from the, the emphasis, the emphasis that, that, uh, Narayan Marsh cared, desired to, uh, um, focus on, you know, for his own disciples. And, um, and, uh, you know, he, he wasn't privy to all of the things that Prophet said. It was understandable that he would feel that Prabhupada was in, in, in Madhurya Rasa because it's, uh, it's fairly typical that Gaudi Acharyas will, um, identify with that, that ideal. And again, Bhakti Siddhanta did and Bhakti Vinod did and so forth. So, um, he would, his arguments in that regard never ever brought up all of the things that Prabhupada said about himself. That, that are found, for example, in Oh My Friend, which are overwhelming. They're just overwhelming. There is no more powerful praman or evidence than what the guru himself says about himself. Hmm? And if you get that and it's supported by his god brother, Pujapad Sridharmarsh, who probably considered his own six-year guru, who he lived with for, for six you know, years and so forth, and the fact that so many of Prabhupada's disciples felt like, well, you know, it's a pretty overwhelming case. Narayanmarsh wasn't familiar with it. And he didn't care to be familiarize himself with it. And I don't blame him for that. He had his own emphasis and focus. And um, he wanted to push his disciples towards uh, Madhuri Rasa. And also he would find that a lot of Prabhupada's disciples didn't know, you know, very much. They didn't know the difference between going to Baikuntha and going to Vrindavan. I mean, they could have if they'd studied more and so forth. And so when he saw that, then he emphasized in a particular way. And when he was in the midst of emphasizing in a particular way, which was normal, you know, the highest ideal, Prem Prayojan, Godabrindaman, Madhuryaras, and so forth and so on. He's halfway down the road, emphasizing like this, all appropriate. And somebody says, but Prabhupada was in Sakyaras. And just like, you know, wait a minute here. <laughs> Fit in. And really? He's thinking, somebody thinks he's in Sakyaras. Somebody thinks, you know, worshiping the Shringu, you know, going to the Shringaloka is the, is the goal. These people, these devotees don't know that much. Prabhupada didn't have time to teach them, so I'm going to teach them. So he dismissed it, you know, along those lines. But nobody had the courage or the in- insight or information to push back on him and say politely, but you know, the Prophet said this, he said this, he said this, and go through it all, you know. Like he could say, Vishwanachakvati Thakur's song is there. Gurubastikam, we sing every morning. Nikunjayuno Ratikeli Sidhai. Yeah, right. He's in the Nikunja. He's serving like the gopis. So did Prabhupada teach you this song? Yes. Then you sing it every morning. Yeah, then must be Madhuri Rasa, right? Well, that's a good argument. Of course, if you don't know that Prabhupada was asked about that himself hmm, by his own disciples, and it's it's all recorded. Hmm? Prabhupada, you know, he, 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 we're singing Nikunja, you know. So does that mean that the gurus in, 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 in Madhuri Rasa, he said, no, that means that Vishwanath Chakrati Thakur saw his own guru hmm, in Sakhi Rasa, and he's writing it for his own guru it, uh, in Madhuri Rasa. Uh, he's writing it for his own guru. The guru can be in Madhuri Rasa or Sakhi Rasa. Now, why would Prabhupada say that? Hmm? <laughs> why would he say he could be in Sakhi Rasa? You know, you know, so he, he would push back. He would say Madhuri or Sakhi, either one. Hmm? Uh, and there, so and that's just one example of how you could cite this, you know, here's a song, must be, you know, okay. But if you don't have the information, you don't know what Prophet said, you don't push back, well, there's no pushback. And so this then um, started to spread in this idea of Manjari Baba, the highest ideal. Nobody wants to disagree with that. Fine, you know. Hmm? And so then, then there's the, oh, you think the Prophet's in the lower rasa, you know. Prabhupada's the high, you know, it's like, you don't understand what rasa means. There's no lower rasa. <laughs> There's no lower rasa. rasa. There was propaganda when Sridhar started promoting that Prabhupada was in Sakya Rasa. It just came up kind of naturally. He wasn't like promoting, but it came up naturally. And some people said, see, Prabhupada's in Sakya Rasa there. If you want Madhuriya Rasa, you have to go to Sridhar He's in Madhuriya Rasa. Sridhar didn't like that. Hmm? Yeah. When I presented that to Puri Marsh, he was very, he, he got also upset. He said, Baba, if your guru marches in Sakyaras and you think you've got a problem, you've got a problem. Hmm? Gonna rain, and you want Madhurya Ras and you've got a Sakyaras guru and you think you've got a problem. He's got any Ras, he can help you, you know, he, he, he'll guide you and so forth. So 
Um, that's the history. That's why um, some devotees will push back like that, um, whether they know it or not. Now, you know, that, and that's why I decided to publish Oh My Friend. I thought, I'm not going to let history go down here without, you know, this historical information about what Prabhupada said about himself. Let people decide for themselves, but let them avail themselves to the inf- of the information that's actually out there. Hmm? Um, so, does that help? Yeah, I, yeah, I'm not going to go you. on about this. <laughs> uh, length. I mean, I've written a book about Sakuras that's about to come out, so maybe that will help. But, um, yeah. Thank you so All much, right. Kumar. Okay, thank you for asking. Yeah, it's a good one. So I guess we're out of time. Did we, uh, we weren't able to answer everybody's question. There's some still waiting. Actually, you covered all of them. So okay. it was perfect. Jai. Okay. Nice to be with all of you. Hope to be with you again soon. Next week, hopefully. Gaur. Bhakta Vrinda Ki Jai. Hari Hari Bo. Ki Jai. Prabhupada Ki Jai. Narayan Maharaj Ki Jai. Sri Maharaj Ki Jai. Ananda Gopal. There he is. Ki Jai. Hari Krishna.